Um, I think uh, if we were to go around the room and, and ask this question and begin to think about this together, uh, all of us at different times in our life come up against struggles or, or storms in our lives or things that we have to deal with. Uh, if you were here with us last week, we talked about, uh, as we've been going through this series of the life of Jesus. And what we're doing is just kind of walking through chronologically uh, Jesus's life, the three years of his public ministry. And as we've been doing that, we looked last week at how Jesus is the Lord over sickness and death. And we so we talked a little bit last week about sickness, uh, more more so about death. And as that comes in the world and we kind of framed that with uh, Romans chapter eight, where it talks about that God has subjected creation to futility in hope. That there is a futility built into this creation because of our rebellion, because of our sin. As man sinned and sin entered the world, God gives us real choices with real consequences. And as that comes in, there's a futility that comes with it and there's struggles and hardships that come. And so last week we were talking about that very pointedly in death and death being the ends of sin. But today we're going to talk just more generally about just the struggles that come in our life and the hardships that come and the, the emotions that go with that. Uh, oftentimes difficult times in our life, there's a whole sea of emotions that comes with it. Uh, sometimes it looks like fear. Uh, as difficult times come and it's, we recognize it's outside of our control, it can be very uh, scary. Um, sometimes it's anxiety. Sometimes it's frustration. Uh, all sorts of different emotions flood in at different hard times in our life. And some of that is just seasons. Some of that is difficulties that come. Some of it maybe is related to uh, your work or provision. Sometimes it's just relational. I'd say most of the times it's relational. Uh, we struggle in different ways in relationships with family, with friends, with children, in marriages. All sorts of things come to play in that. And it can be difficult and it presents in different ways. And so this morning, I want us to think a little bit about that. You know, I was thinking about different things in my own life. I want you to think about the things that come into your life that maybe cause fear or anxiety or struggles. I mean, only you can answer what that question is. Um, I was thinking about it this week and uh, my firstborn is, is 13 today. So make sure you tell Asher happy birthday. It's his birthday today. 13 years old, which means he's now a teenager, which I'm now having to deal with. I'm old enough to have a teenager. Uh, but some of those seasons of life that come in and you start to wrestle with those different things. And it was making me think about uh, when we go on vacation, uh, we've been fortunate enough the last several years to be able to take a vacation each year. Usually we pick to go to the beach or somewhere around there. But this strange thing happens every week, on, uh, every year, I should say, on that week of our vacation. And usually for me, it's like Thursday or Friday. Usually we go Saturday to Saturday. And so Thursday or Friday, there's like this sense of like reflection, almost the sadness that like another year has gone by. And, and to be there with my children. And to watch them growing up and wanting them to slow down. <laughs> Don't want him to be a teenager yet because I haven't figured out how to be a father yet. <laughs> and part of that is like I'm blowing it. <laughs> slow down. <laughs> I'm not ready for this yet. But feeling all those things that come up and I get to the end of the week and it's like, oh, no, he's a year older. They're all a year older and I'm not sure what to do with this and how to do it well. And so I think part of that's just the seasons of life. And, and maybe you feel that in different ways. Maybe it's with your children. Maybe it was something totally different. But we feel those things. And sometimes it can be fearful almost like, whoa, how do I deal with this? 
And so different seasons in our life bring different emotions and feelings and things that we have to deal with. And I think a lot of times that is relational. And so just as you think about that, I want you to think about what it is in your life right now. What are the things that are pressing in on you or maybe bring some of those feelings? Uh, Only you can know what that is. And I want you to think about that. And then I want us to look today at these two stories that Luke read for us. These two stories that have to do with very real storms, physical in nature, uh, winds and rain and on the sea that we see Jesus with his disciples and what Jesus teaches us about who he is in the storms in our life. And what he's telling us about those. And I want us to think about that together and look at that. And as we do, uh, just this idea of, of who Jesus is in this. And so as we look at those two, those two uh, stories in Mark chapter 4 and Mark chapter 6, let me just set the scene for you as we've been working our way through the Gospels. Uh, Mark's Gospel is the shortest, so even though we're only in 4 and chapter 6, we're almost two years into Jesus' ministry now. Actually, we are right at two years maybe even a little over that. And so we've been saying each week, if you've been with us, the life of Jesus first year is kind of the year of introduction or obscurity. A lot of people don't know who Jesus is at the beginning. And he's kind of, they're, they're starting to learn who he is. Year two, they start to see his teaching and these miracles and the incredible things he's doing and his popularity grows. In fact, right here between Mark chapter four and Mark chapter six, we have the feeding of the 5,000. That may be the height of his popularity. He's really starting to have tons of crowds coming and people are really excited about who he is. But then as we get to the third year of Jesus's ministry, it turns to a lot of hardship or a lot of opposition that starts to come. And so we're right on the edge of that. In fact, if you read through the Gospels and you read through chronologically, uh, a good way to do that, if you've never done that before, there's a there's a book called The Harmony of the Gospels. Uh, Thomas Gundry and forget the other author's name that put it all together. It's a great way to read through that. And I've been using that a lot in my study for this series. And so I just point you to that. It's a great resource if you've never done that before, but it puts all the gospels together chronologically. And what happens here in this uh, time between Mark four and Mark six, two years in, there's some people, some religious leaders that are starting to get pretty upset with what Jesus is saying and what he's doing. And we have the first public confrontation where they call him a heretic and they start to say he's blaspheming and they start to come at him. And so you're starting to see kind of the the thunderclouds gathering for the third year of his ministry. Right. Oh, that's perfect. Dennis said it's going to rain. You should work that into your sermon. Right. So the thunderclouds are gathering because it's the third year of the sermon of the of Jesus's ministry. Right. So it's the third year and it's coming. Right. And so that's just the life of Jesus. Yeah, it'd be perfect if it started raining right now. Uh, but you see this in, in Jesus's life coming through. And so we get to this point in Mark 4 and Mark 6. And we're going to see these very two pretty uh, famous stories of one, Jesus walking on the water, Jesus being in the boat with the disciples and the other. And these storms come. And so here's the way I want us to look at these two stories. Uh, what does Jesus tell us about or what does he identify here It's kind of the source of our fear or our struggle in those storms in our life. And he's going to show us real clearly. And then secondly, what does Jesus say or do to answer this? And then lastly, as we think through the things that come in our life and the difficulties of those seasons, how do we continue to trust him in the midst of that? All right. So let's start first with just this question. What is at the heart of the fear or the struggle when those hard times comes? And so when we look at these two stories, they're very similar. 
Both take place on the Sea of Galilee. Both have to do with Jesus and his disciples, many of which are fishermen. If you know this about his disciples, this is kind of their uh, area where they live and they work and they spend their time on this sea. If you don't know anything about the Sea of Galilee, it's about 15 miles uh, north south, about seven miles across. So it's not real big. But where it is in this place uh, right there, just north of Jerusalem, is it's in such a place that uh, the weather can change dramatically on the Sea of Galilee because of the mountains that are there and the way the wind comes together. And so what can happen is even as an experienced fisherman, you can go out there and be doing your thing. And then all of a sudden these storms can come out of nowhere. And so this is where they spent a lot of their time, but they were very used to this. Uh, around this time, Jesus' ministry is he's traveling around a lot of the towns that are, or that are there on the Sea of Galilee. And so you think about when we read in the Gospels how they hop in a boat and they go to the next town. It makes sense. If you've got to walk all the way around this Sea of Galilee, or you can get in a boat and just go straight across, you're going to save a lot of time. And so you see this happen different times that Jesus says, let's go, let's get in the boat and let's go across. It's just some background on what's happening here. But so we have these two stories where both take place in this place at the Sea of Galilee. And it's just big enough that it could be a really scary thing to be out in the middle of it when the storm would come up. Oftentimes the sea is is in ancient literature referred to as a really scary place. And you can imagine why if you think about the technology of the time and what they had and the way that they would travel. You you didn't have cell phones. You didn't have radios. You didn't have CBs. You didn't have any ways to communicate. And you get off in the middle of the sea and a storm blows up, especially at night. And it's dark and it's a scary place to be. And so all of that is kind of background to what we read here. But let's look at these two stories together. And I want you just to notice the similarities there and what Jesus says to them in both. So let's start with Mark chapter four. I'm going to jump in at verse 36. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in a boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose and waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Right. So just hold that in your mind for a second. And then look at chapter six, if you would, with me. And we're going to pick up in verse 47. <clears throat> Jesus in, in the second one in chapter six sends them ahead on the boat. If you know anything about the geography around the Sea of Galilee, it says he kind of climbed up and sat on the hill or the mountain. And so he was looking out on the sea and he could see them. So he could see what was happening as they went out. Right. So verse, uh, let's see, 46 there. Or 47. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them about the fourth watch of the night. And he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart. It is I do not be afraid. And so I want you to think about what Jesus says to both of them as it pertains to their fear. Now, remember, this is real fear in the sense of these are uh, 
fishermen who are on their boats all the time, but particularly in Mark chapter four, when this thing blows up on them, these are experienced fishermen that are used to being in a boat that are used to being on this body of water, but they are freaking out. This is not people that don't know what they're doing. They know what they're doing and they're going, we're going to die. It's that serious, right? So we don't want to make light of what they're going through because it is serious. It's serious enough that they're really scared. But in both situations, as it pertains to their fear, Jesus says uh, first in, in chapter four, he says to them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And then in chapter six, he says, take heart. It is I do not be afraid. So in both instances, he tells them not to fear. But I want you to see the connection he makes to their fear, because what he's saying to them is it has to do with their lack of faith in who Jesus is. In both instances, right? Because because the first one, he says, do you not have any faith? And, and, and I think what he's saying or the, the clear connotation there is if you did, you wouldn't be afraid. But then when you read in chapter six, he says, take heart. It is I. Right. It's me, Jesus. I'm here. And so since I'm here, don't be afraid. And so in both instances, he's pointing them to an issue of lack of faith and it's lack of faith pertaining to who Jesus is. And he's saying that in both ways. And so I want you to think about what he's saying and what Jesus says elsewhere. When we start to think about this Uh, immediately in my mind, when I start to think about fear or anxiety or the struggles we have over the things in life, uh, my mind immediately goes to Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six is Sermon on the Mount. Right in the middle of it, Jesus has this whole section on don't be anxious for anything. You know that passage. What he says is don't be anxious for anything. And he says not even your life, not what you wear, not your provision, not any of those things. And he gives us a couple reasons. One's very practical. Uh, the first is he says don't uh, don't be anxious for anything because it doesn't help. He says it doesn't add any time to your life. It's not actually going to get you anywhere, so don't be anxious. But then the next thing he says is he says, don't be anxious. And he says, look at the birds in the air and the flowers on the field, and I take care of every one of them, and I love you much more than that, and I will take care of you. And Jesus points us to when we become anxious and we become fearful and we begin to struggle with the things in life to look to him, that he's in control of all of it. He says, you don't have to fear and you don't have to be anxious because I'm in control of it. But here's the problem that we have, all of us, every single one of us at different times. Even if you're a Christian and you're putting your faith in Jesus and you say, I love Jesus and he is my savior and I'm clinging to him and all that I have. There are different times in our life that we are unbelievers. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. I'm not saying you're not a Christian I'm not saying you're not saved, you're not in this relationship, that you're not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that. saying even in those times, there are moments when the circumstances of life press in on us and we begin to live out of unbelief rather than belief. The circumstances of our life get so close and they're so real and they're pressing in on us or so we feel. And so we operate in unbelief in those moments. And we need to recognize that all of us at different times are tempted not to believe what is true about who God is and who we are in light of him and to live as unbelievers. And that's exactly what's happening in these two episodes. Jesus shows up and he says, where is your faith? 
He sees their fear and he makes the connection that they are now operating in unbelief in this moment. Now, I'm not picking on anybody when I say that. We all do that. I do that. This is a good picture of what it looks like when we do it. When the storm comes blowing in and it's really scary and all this stuff is right in front of us, we go, oh, no, I'm going to die. Right. That's what they're saying. They turn to Jesus and they say, don't you care? We're perishing. We're about to die here. And his answer is, you don't have any faith. Relax. I'm here. Right. It is I. And he points us back to putting our faith in him and in every circumstance. But that's hard when the circumstances are difficult. And that's one of the reasons we talk a lot here about the importance of being in community with other believers. Of walking closely with other people when you're in the midst of whatever it is you're dealing with. And you're getting clouded out uh, as you're as it's pressing in on you and you go, oh, no, this is terrible and no good can come from this and all this. And you have friends that step in that can step back just a little bit from your circumstances and can speak the truth and love to you. That can remind you of the good news of who God is and what he's done and how it pertains to you, even in this. And we need to be reminded of that over and over and over again because we're quick to forget it. We're quick to let our circumstances uh, guide us more than the truth of who God is and what he's done. And so Jesus is doing the same thing with them here. And so the problem, as he points it out, is they're not believing. They're operating in unbelief. But then the second thing I want us to consider is what does he say and what does he do here to answer this or to help us in this? And what Jesus does here in a lot of ways... um, Some of it's comical, and I think that's okay to say, like uh, God has a sense of humor. I think some of it's pretty funny, but it's also there to point us to who he is and how he answers this. And so look again at chapter six. I'm going to pick up there in verse uh, 45, right? So he says, immediately he made the disciples to get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. So this is right after he feeds the 5,000. As far as uh, chronology of his life and how he put these things together, right at this point, Jesus is so popular. He's just fed the 5,000 that it says in John's gospel that they're ready to take him and make him king. Right. They're like, this is it. This is our opportunity. Things are going to be set right. This is the Messiah. And their understanding was he was going to be an earthly king in that moment at that time. And John says that Jesus knew they were coming to make him king. So he tells the disciples, quick, get in the boat. Let's go. Get out of here. And so he sends them ahead and he climbs up onto the mountain to pray. And so he sends them ahead and it says, uh, and he had taken leave of them and he went up on the mountain to pray. And evening came. And the boat was out at sea and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. And so get the scene. He sends them out. Right. They've just finished the feeding of the 5000. He sends them out ahead. It's starting to get dark out. They go. He climbs up and he begins to pray. And it says the winds are blowing and the, the sea is rough and they're out there struggling and he's watching. He's up there praying and and I see this this image here of what's happening. And there's a lot of things that this kind of shows for us exactly what is true about who God is 
and what he's doing and the way that we should see all the struggles we have in life. There's the disciples struggling and Jesus is watching and praying and he knows everything that's going on. He sees every bit of it the whole time. And the first thing I want you to consider is there is no circumstance in your life that befalls you that takes Jesus by surprise. Not one. There's nothing that comes up in your life and happens and he goes, oh, no, what happened? I didn't see that coming. He sees every bit of it. And if he's sitting there and they're struggling, he's watching. But he's not just watching. It says he went up there to pray. And I believe it doesn't tell us specifically, but I believe that he's praying for the disciples. I think it's a beautiful picture of what we know about who Jesus is and where he is right now and what he lives to do. You know, in Hebrews, it says that he's ascended to the right hand of the father and he lives to make intercession for you. That he knows everything that you're going through. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I see exactly what you're dealing with and the things that are coming in your life. And he is interceding for you. He lives to intercede for you. And I see this picture here and it's such a beautiful picture of what Jesus is doing. That he's ruling and reigning right now in whatever circumstance you're dealing with. And he's not caught off guard by it. And his timing is perfect. You know, he sits there and it says he waits. If you read there in chapter six, it says he waited until about the fourth watch of the night. That's like three to six in the morning. So he watches them struggling on the Sea of Galilee, not getting very far. And he's praying and he's watching them. And he doesn't come to them till like four or five in the morning. And so you see Jesus kind of waiting and watching, but he knows everything that's going on. But then look at uh, chapter four again in verse 37, when it says the great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Remember, in chapter four, he's in the boat with him. He got in to go across with him and he's there. And all of a sudden, this huge windstorm comes up. So get the picture. The waves are breaking into the boat. The boat's beginning to take on water. Experienced fishermen that are on the Sea of Galilee all the time. And what do they say? They're freaking out. We're going to die. Don't you care that we're perishing? And so get the picture, right? These are guys that know what they're doing, that are out there all the time, and they're losing it. And they're flying all over the place and water's coming into the boat. And here's the question. Where is Jesus? Where is he as this is happening? Mark says that Jesus... As the great windstorm arose and the water's breaking into the boat, but he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And you get this picture that everything's falling apart and they're freaking out and they think they're going to die and water's coming in and Jesus is taking a nap. Yeah, it's kind of funny, isn't it? Like you're like, what? Okay. <laughs> like, where's Jesus? Oh, he's sleeping. And you start to go, what, what is happening and what is God teaching us and what is he saying to us on that? You know, by the way, Mark says he's asleep on a cushion. I always like to point this out. Uh, that This is an eyewitness account of what happened. Realistic <clears throat> fiction didn't exist at this time. And so the fact that Mark says he was asleep in the stern on a cushion and these details are there. No one had ever thought to make up details to make your story seem more realistic. It wouldn't happen for another 1500 years. The reason he says he's asleep on the cushion is because it was Peter's eyewitness account and he saw him asleep on the cushion. It's pretty awesome when you stop and think about it, but that's kind of a side note. But there he is asleep on the cushion in the stern. And God has a sense of humor 
They think everything's falling apart and Jesus is taking a nap. And I want you to think about that. The things that we often press in on our life and we say it's all falling apart. And don't you care that we're perishing? And Jesus is there. I got this. He's not even breaking a sweat. Right? They wake him up and he stands up and he says, stop. And it all stops. And he goes, what are you afraid of? And you start to get this image of who Jesus is. And why he says, do you not have any faith? And it's almost humorous, but it's a beautiful picture of how in control God is. That in the midst of when they think they're dying, that he can be sleeping. Or if you look at chapter six, which I think is even funnier, if you really stop and think about it. In chapter six, they're struggling and the winds and the waves. And finally, at four or five in the morning, he gets out and he comes out to him. And the way he gets to him is he walks on the water. Just think about the image of that alone. The sea is a really scary place at night, right? It's pitch black. There's waves and winds. You can't see the shore. You're out there all by yourself. You're fighting this. And all of a sudden he comes strolling out, walking on the water, right? Which this goes back to John one, what we said the very first week. Jesus is the creator of all things. Everything exists by the power of his word, as it says in Hebrews one, for Jesus to walk on the water is not a big deal. He can do that. But here's the part that I find pretty funny. As he comes walking on the sea, he comes out to them. They were making uh, this is verse 48. They were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And this is where I get, he meant to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out for they all saw him and were terrified. So they all start freaking out. Right. But here's the part I want you to get. Jesus goes walking out on the sea in the middle of this. And his plan was to walk by. Yeah, it's funny. He was just going to be like walking past them. What's up, guys? I'll see you on the other side. Right. Like that's he sent him out ahead. I'll meet you there. And you're like, what is happening? So here they are freaking out and they're struggling and they're fighting the waves. And Jesus comes strolling by and he says, hey, and then they get all upset, think it's a ghost. They freak out and then he gets in the boat. And when he gets in the boat, everything stops. But before he gets in the boat, notice the chronology there. He says, take heart. It is I do not be afraid. It's before the wind stops. He's standing on the water. They're freaking out. They think it's a ghost. And he says, there's nothing to be afraid of. And he gets in the boat and everything stops. You know, in John's gospel, it says he gets in the boat and they were immediately to the other side. You know, like, I don't know exactly what happened there. But basically, Jesus got in and everything was fine. And so I want you to just to think about those images there and that picture and, and what it is that Jesus is showing us and teaching us. When things seem really, really hard And really scary for us, it's not hard for Jesus at all. He can be asleep on the cushion. He can be strolling on the water. He can be sitting up there watching, but he's got all of it under control. And in those moments where they're really struggling and they think they're going to die and it gets to that place, he steps in and he says, I got this. And so when we start to think that things are out of control, and maybe sometimes it seems like he's absent. You go, why is this going on? For so long, maybe you feel that way. Right? I mean, I'm sure they felt that way at 3:30, when they had been fighting the waves for hours. Where is he? 
And then he shows up. Maybe you're in that right now. Maybe you're in the 3.30, right? Maybe that 3.30 or those three or four hours or three or four months. Or maybe it's three or four years. Or maybe it's a really long season that you're struggling. But what Jesus is teaching us is that there's nothing that's outside of his control. There's nothing that he doesn't know that's going on, that he doesn't have completely under his control in every way. There's not a single thing that Jesus is looking down on seeing and seeing and wringing his hands and going, oh, no, I wonder how this is going to work out. And I don't say that to to make light of what you go through or what you are going through or what you're dealing with. But Jesus is sovereign over every single bit of it. And he's showing us even as he walks on the water. Even as he stands in the middle of the storm and he says, stop, and it all stops. Can you imagine that scene? The waves are breaking and the lightning and the storm and all of this stuff. And he says, stop, and it says the, the sea goes still. And if you've ever seen a huge storm and then it stops, usually the water is still pretty choppy for a while. But Jesus says, stop, and it all stops. It stops in an instant. And he's showing us that if you understand who he is, And what he's come to do that you don't have anything to fear, nothing at all, in any circumstance, in any way. When he says, take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. And so you think about the things that come in your life and the struggles that are there. I think there's a good question that comes with this if we're really thinking about it. And it probably comes very quickly if you're in the middle of one of those times. Why does he do it like this? Why does he wait? Or why does he wait as long as he does? Or why is he working it out just like this? I would rather him just come quickly. He's Lord over all and I trust him and I believe it. But why doesn't he do it faster? And those are good questions. And they're natural questions that come in the midst of those difficult times. Why does he wait here until it's four in the morning to walk out to them? And there's a couple things that I want us to consider. And one is this. When we ask, why is he letting us go through this, whatever that is, why like that, that God uses the storms in your life to shape us and to draw us and to point us to him. So we talked about in Romans eight last week. That the futility that is built into creation that he has placed on creation, he says he subjected creation to futility in hope. To point you to your need for him. To rest in him, to seek him in the midst of those times. And the truth is, when things are good, it's easier for us to forget God. It's easier for us to become complacent. And so sometimes allowing us to feel that is to draw us back to him in those struggles. But then the next question goes, but man, that seems pretty harsh. Why does it have to be like that? Or why do those struggles have to be so long? Or when is this ever going to resolve? And the second thing that I want us to end with and think about is that there are times when we don't understand his timing. And be honest with you and as clear as possible, there are going to be times in your life when it's hard and it's going to seem to go on longer than you think it should. And you're going to wrestle with it and you're going to struggle with it and you're going to go, why like this? And there's not going to be the clear answer. The Bible tells us God is working for your good and his glory and he's going to use all of it, but you may not see it. And so how do we continue to trust in those moments? 
when it doesn't seem to be working out as we think it should. And I'm not sure how he's working in this. And I think the answer when we begin to think about that is there's a profound resource when we look to Jesus and what he's done in his life and what he's done for us. As Jesus enters into time and space and what he's come to do, he knows everything that we go through. He's been tempted in every way that we are. But there's a striking parallel in this story with another story in the Old Testament. And I think when we see it, it helps us to understand and to trust him in the midst of those storms. I was reading this week in uh, Tim Keller's book called The King's Cross. I think it has a different title now if you go look for it. But he wrote a book on the Gospel of Mark. And I was reading what he wrote for Mark chapter 4 and some of the things he says there. And he makes this parallel between uh, a story in the Old Testament, the story of Jonah and of Jesus here in Mark chapter 4. And he says it this way. I was trying to figure out how to get it across. And I said, you know what? He says it way better than I could. So I'm going to let him say it. Right. So Keller says it this way. Both Jesus and Jonah were in boats that were overtaken by storms. Both Jesus and Jonah were asleep. In both stories, the sailors woke up the sleeper and said, we're going to die. So if you know the story of Jonah, he's running from God and he gets on this boat and the storm comes up. And when he recognizes the storm is because of his disobedience, he tells them, he lets them know. Right. So, you know, the story, maybe, you know, the story of Jonah. But then it says in both cases, there was a miraculous divine intervention and the sea was calmed. Further, in both stories, the sailors then became even more terrified than they were before the storm was calmed after it was. And so two almost identical stories with just one difference. In the midst of the storm, Jonah said to the sailors, in effect, there's only one thing to do. If I perish, you survive. If I die, you will live. So in Jonah, he says, you need to throw me overboard. Right? This is because I am running from God and I recognize that, so throw me over. And they go, okay. And they throw him over and he gets swallowed by a fish, right? You know the story of Jonah. And so they throw him into the sea, which doesn't happen in Mark's story, or does it? I think Mark is showing that stories that aren't actually, they aren't actually that different when you stand back a bit and look at them with the rest of the story of Jesus in view. Jesus says in Matthew that there is one greater than Jonah and he is here and he's referring to himself as the true and better Jonah. And what he meant when he says this is someday I'm going to calm all storms. I'm going to still all waves. I'm going to destroy destruction. I'm going to break brokenness and I'm going to kill death. And how can he do that? He can do it only because when he was on the cross, he was thrown willingly into the ultimate storm under the ultimate waves, the waves of sin and death. And Jesus was thrown into the only storm that can actually sink us, the storm of eternal justice and what we owe for our wrongdoing. And so when Jesus came and he willingly said, I will go to the cross and I will lay down my life and I will take your sin upon myself. He defeated the only thing that you need to ever be afraid of. Being separated from God because of your sin. And Jesus came and he did it. And he completed it once and for all. And he laid down his life for us. And he came and he experienced all the suffering and the heartache and the hardship. And he took on the wrath that we deserve and emptied it of his power that by grace, through faith, there is nothing that you ever have to be afraid of. 
Even if you lose your life. Even if sickness comes. Even if you walk out of here and you get run over and you die today. There is nothing to fear because Jesus has defeated sin and death. And if they're on the boat and they look at him, they say, do you not care that we're perishing? He says, you don't have any faith. I'm here. It's okay. I've got you. And so there will be times when you go through things that you don't understand. You go, I don't know how this works out. And I don't know how it's going to be good. But you can trust Jesus because of who he is and what he's done and what he's accomplished on the cross. Even in those moments when we don't understand, he knows what you're going through. And in the end, when he returns and he defeats all death and all sin and all disease, we will look back on it and we will see that all of it was for our good and his glory and we will rejoice. There is nothing that you have to be afraid of. That is the good news of the gospel and what Jesus has done. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious good news. That even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Even in the midst of things that we don't understand and that we struggle with. We thank you that you are good. That you are at work. That you are working these things for our good and your glory. Uh, I, I know Right now, there's many in our body that are going through those difficult times, those storms, those seasons where they doesn't make a lot of sense, where there's more questions seemingly than there are answers. I pray that you would point us more fully to who you are and what you've done, that we'd be able to rest in your goodness. I thank you that in all the things that we deal with in life in the end, in your second coming, when we close our eyes and, and, and breathe our last breath and we awake in glory with you, that we will see how every single bit of it was for your glory and our good. And we will rejoice in, so, in seeing that. And we thank you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.